The Thriving Over Surviving podcast is for informational and inspirational purposes and not meant to be medical advice. Please consult your physician for any medical issues you may be facing. The opinions expressed by guests and advertisers are their own and not necessarily the opinions of Thriving Over Surviving podcast. We get into these modes where we have to survive every situation. And so like I was surviving these friendships and finally it was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't sit in your pain and, and try to move out of my pain. Welcome to another episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast, where we discuss the ups and downs of our autoimmune diagnoses, but ultimately how we thrive in spite of it. I'm your host, Edie Sahesian. I was diagnosed in 2015 with multiple sclerosis. I've learned a lot about MS in myself over the past few years, but the most important thing I realize is that I am going to live my best life. MS and other autoimmune diseases tend to be a bit of a bummer if we let them. So why not battle back by finding our joy? 37 states have legalized medical cannabis, plus the District of Columbia and Guam and Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands. The very first state was California in 1996. So travel back in time with me just a moment. Medical use of cannabis goes back thousands of years. China, Egypt, and India. This Irish physician, his name was William O'Shaughnessy, was introduced to the drug in the 1930s while he was living in India. In 1942, he brought it back to England, and from there it was spread throughout the West. As opioids became on the scene, the use of cannabis as medical marijuana, medical use of cannabis, was reduced greatly. The Marijuana Act of 1937 prohibited the use of cannabis for non-medical purposes and made it really expensive and difficult to get. So it was completely removed after that as a pharmaceutical in 1941. Recreational use of cannabis increased largely in the 60s and resurrected the conversation about its medicinal benefits. But the talk got louder in the 70s and 80s for use with cancer in AIDS patients. In 1970, President Nixon signed this Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act. So this established the categories for controlled substances and cannabis was actually placed on the list of most restricted substances. So between then and about 2013, lots of different legislation was happening. People trying to get cannabis to be in a reduced category, to get it to be legalized for medical use again. In 2013, a study found medical cannabis legalization was associated with 87% reduction in traffic fatalities. In 2016, a study found significant drops in violent crime in states that have medical cannabis. In 2013, the introduction of medical cannabis laws caused a reduction in violent crime in American states bordering Mexico. There are a myriad of you know, conditions which qualify for medical cannabis use. Not all of them are approved in every state that has approved the cannabis. 
MS is one of only five approved conditions in all 37 states, as well as cancer, epilepsy, HIV, and seizures. So my guest today, Jody Nix, she is married to a great guy, and they have two beautiful girls together. This thriver has had multiple sclerosis now for over 10 years. She handles it with a whole lot of Jesus, a little bit of marijuana, and lots of rock climbing. She is you know, currently working on her second book and it will be ready for all of us in the spring. But her first book, Letters to an Unbelieving Woman, has sold over 1,500 copies. This book shares the story of Jody and her husband, his mental illness, dealing with cancer with her mom, Jody and God and learning how to trust him. There's just so much packed into this book. I want to get into all of this, Jody. Thank you so, so much for being here today with me. Oh, thank you for having me. I know that was a long intro. Thank you for sitting through that. But there's so many things that are relevant to having this discussion with you. I don't want to leave them behind. So at first, you know, we need to talk about to get everybody that's listening, understanding where you're coming from. Let's hear your diagnosis story. I was diagnosed in... 2012. So in the year prior to that, I had had my first daughter. So to that, well, two years prior to that, 2009, and I had relapsed, but I didn't realize that I had multiple sclerosis until after my second daughter was born in 2012, because after she was born, my hormones were crazy. I didn't know what was going on. I had these like I mean, you guys know the pains that just come and you're like, what the heck is going on? My back was literally on fire. It felt like just fire. I couldn't walk. It was the craziest thing. And I went to the chiropractor. I was going to the chiropractor for three months and the guy, my chiropractor, bless his heart, he's such a great guy, but he, he kept telling me, Jody, you know, like this pain, we're going to get this brace for you. And, and once we pulled it on, like, cause he kept thinking it was in my back, you know, I finally got this brace. It was like $1,200. It was ridiculous. And so I put it on and I felt so bad for them because they were the doctor, my husband, like the, the assistant of the chiropractor office was was they were so excited to see and I was like it just made it worse and so then a few weeks later I couldn't really walk and I was like well maybe I'm just need to lose some weight because I just had a baby and all this stuff and so then I started like losing control of my bladder and it was terrible and I was only 30 and I was like peeing my pants everywhere it was so annoying so then I went to the doctor and my doctor, and I was telling him my symptoms, and he basically sent me straight to get an MRI done. And then that night, I found out I had multiple sclerosis. And then after that, I went into probably the biggest relapse I've ever had. I was in a wheelchair for almost six months. And then, and at the same time, I got this weird symptom. It felt like, like when somebody would press on me, like I was getting stung by bees. So like I couldn't hold my baby at this point. Like at this point, my second daughter was only six months. So it was like, I still held her, but it was just really hard. I didn't know what was going on and nobody knew. And so when my doctor called me and he told me what was going on, 
I went in, got all the stuff. I got put on probably like five different medications for my legs, the spasms, my fatigue, antidepressants. I think I had a total of five. Like people were coming in, cleaning my house, making food for my husband. I'd only been married since 2009. So it was just like a crash to my world. And then an angel came into my life. She's like my MS mentor. And so this woman from church that I'd gone to, she came over with this like weird box looking thing. And I'm like, what the heck is this? And then she pulled out some marijuana and I was, I, I still didn't understand what was going on. And so anyways, but what it was, was an old school vape box. So you would vape it versus like smoking it and all this stuff. And I was so I was pretty legalistic then, meaning like I was very rule oriented. Like I have to do this. I have to do this. And if I do this, then this is going to happen. And I was checking off all the religion boxes. But so like doing this brought so much anxiety and stress. And I, I was embarrassed that I had to, but it was the only thing that got me out of the wheelchair that and Rick Simpson oil which is an oil that you would stick under, like it's a concentrate. And so you'd stick it, I'd stick it under my tongue for like three weeks. And at that point it was like gold. So it was super expensive years ago, but now you can get it for decent prices. But yeah, that's what got me out of the wheelchair and my fatigue. Anyone who knows what an MS or any chronic illness fatigue is like, you'll do anything not to feel it because you can't just sleep. And so the marijuana, when I learned how to use it, it gave me this energy that I didn't understand. And I was like, oh, I can go hang out with my kids and go swinging with them and instead of having to sit at home. And it, it changed my world. You're in the wheelchair. What, what was causing you to be in there that the marijuana relieved so you could get up? Yeah. So a lot of my symptoms are in my legs or like my, I get spasms or so like I can climb rocks, right? But I can't walk around a lake. Like I can't even go check my mailbox unless I'm like super healthy. So the pain in my uh, legs, like the spasms would be like my legs would be shaking so bad where people would have to come sit on them. And that happened after that, but not as intensely. Like I, and I'd walk down the hallway of our little duplex and then I'd have to take a nap for like two, three hours. Okay. So that helps me a lot because when people say, you know, oh, there's someone in a wheelchair, a lot of people think, well, their legs are completely numb and useless. Right. And right. so how could medical marijuana possibly bring the feeling back to your legs? Right. right. So when you're saying that it reduces the spasms and pain enough and maybe lifts the fatigue a little enough for you to get to the mailbox, that makes a lot more sense to me. So at that point, when my daughter, when I wasn't able to hold her, it was like, this is super uncomfortable for me. It, it goes against like what I've worked hard to like move out of, you know, like when I was younger, but to be able to hold my kid, I'll never forget the day when I, I just decided that I just didn't care anymore. And, and like, I was going to teach my girls like that this was medication for me and we used to live in this apartment complex and there's this huge lake across the apartment complex. And my husband and my girls would go there all the time. And I just sit at home because I couldn't. 
and and I couldn't go to the playground and play with my kids. And so I just sucked it up and I started really taking it seriously. And then the day that I was able to walk in the complex to the to the playground that was in the in the whole apartment building. And then after that, I was able to walk with my girls over to the lake. It was it, it's just something that you take for granted so often and it's such a normal thing, but to be able to have that moment with my kids, I think about it now and it's been like six years and they were just so excited. Like I have a car now, like a chair, but I try not to use it often, but now they're like, well, you don't really need it. But like, you know, so I do have the things if I have to, but I don't usually have to use them. I can imagine you need them when you're doing a lot of physical activity or going for long distances. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm raising two girls in 2022, man. And I, I want them to know that like this world is not what we think that it's going to be. I want them to, you know, my husband is bipolar. I have multiple sclerosis. There's other people in our family that have on both sides, different things. I want them to, to look at me and be like, my mom has MS, but it's really not the end of the world. And even more so, like if they were ever to have to walk in my shoes, I guess, I want them to know that they can do it. And like, they, it doesn't have to hold them back. Spoken like a true mom. I hope so. Yeah. So this happened right after you gave birth to your second daughter. I can't yeah. imagine what was going on at that time and not being able to take care of yourself or her like normal, like you did with your first daughter. It was super hard because at the same time that we, like I had gotten pregnant, my husband and I were running this thing called the garage of blessings. So basically we would take donations from the community in from the community like literally they would just drop them on our doorstep or our driveway and then we would open the garage our garage up to like um women who didn't necessarily have someone to help support them and they could basically come shop our garage for free and and we did that with the it was a big deal and it was so awesome but like i couldn't do it anymore I, I couldn't. I couldn't take care of my six-month-old plus my my other daughter, who was a year at the time, and then run the garage. And so, like, it was hard. It was not my best years. But I'm grateful for the redemption that's come from it. But those lessons are so hard. It's hard. <laughs> In doing that, though, this garage of blessings really feeds into your core values. And so I know you had identified those as Jesus and God and, and then your friends and family too. And so talk to us a little bit about how you, how do you lean into your love for Jesus and your faith to really get through this? That's a big question. 2019, my world had crashed. Like, so I wrote the book letters to the unbelieving woman because of the the breakthrough that I had walked through. But prior to that, my husband was walking through his own storm. I was walking through MS. And, and so we're dealing with bipolar and we're dealing with multiple sclerosis. Plus our children are super young. We run our own business, right? 2018, I started coaching. I have the best life coach and then writing coach. She's just my favorite. But she was such a huge encouragement to me to just 
let go, to just move forward and, and to just seek God out. And so finally one day it's, it might be a little bit of a cheese story, but it, it it's my story. Like Sean and I had just started like the six months prior to that to try to get our life together. You know, like we'd had so much to unpack in the last few years and, and I had to decide if I still wanted to be married. That's real life. Like I had to decide if I was going to be able to function as a mom and a, and a wife. Like it was so hard. It hit my identity. And finally one day I had been going through coaching and I'd really been leaning on God and I just fell to the floor and was like, I can't do it anymore. I, I, I don't know what else to do. Everything that I've tried isn't going to work. And I got up from the floor and my life just got better. It didn't get easier. It just got better. It, it, life still happens, but the peace that I felt that afternoon, getting up off the floor and being able to move through and, and to look at things that I needed to do to change, like I needed to take better care of my body. I needed to try a little bit more and, and make my family a priority instead of running away from them. And once I did that and I leaned completely on his strength, strength and my weakness, Life looked better. It got better. It was, it, he is the only thing that moves me through my day when I can't, whether I physically can't, I mentally can't. And with that, I had to be responsible with my choices. You know, like I couldn't go back to my old habits. I couldn't, I had to change my thinking patterns. I had to take better care of my body. Whereas like I I didn't go to the doctor very much. Like my life had been spinning so much that I didn't, I didn't have a minute to stop. And when I did, I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing. So in all this, you say that you write, wrote this book and there was a lot going on and I could feel the ups and downs of what you were going through when I was reading the book. And it wasn't always like that. Your faith was not always there. And even when you were trying to be in it, there were ups and downs there with drinking and things. So share with us how you came back to it. I came back to God. Yeah. I just stopped. Like it talks about it in the Bible so many times. He says, I, I just want you to follow me. And so I did. Like I just stopped and I, I just chose to look up instead of looking down. I just chose to let go some of the hardest relationships in my life because I, I knew that he was more. I chose to not allow my identity to be defined by what I felt like people thought they needed from me. And I just allowed him to tell me who I was, you know? That sounds really good to me because it was in your hands all along. It was your choice. Yeah. You were the one that had to get your mind straight. You had to go back and focus what was important to you. And you had to make the choice to do that. And with yeah. everything coming at you, you were still able to. And I think that that really speaks a lot to your relationship with him. So I wanted to read a little bit from the book that you wrote. As I was reading it, I, I my mouth was open because of the nature of what you were writing. It was shocking. And the book opens up with like a preface piece yeah. and it's her husband. Yeah. So Sean had written a little bit in the beginning that I want to read. So from your husband, he wrote, 
This book is a labor of pain, brokenness, hurt, and despair of a marriage on the rocks and the struggles of disease and mental illness. My wife is a survivor, yes, but she isn't just surviving anymore. She is thriving. What do you think about that when you hear those words from your husband? I'm a little teary. That's so sweet. Anyone who knows my husband, he really is the sweetest soul. Like he just, he has a heart of David and he just loves God. He loves God for who he is, what he says, what he does. Like in the beginning was God. That's my husband. And how he loves me is honestly the best example I've ever seen in how someone can love and I'm not just saying that because it's my husband. I mean, you read the book. You, 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 my tone can be a little not kind all the time. But when I realized he loved me that much and like all I had to do was like open my arms and receive that, it changed everything for me. It changed everything for our marriage. It changed everything for how I looked at him. And, and I had to separate the fact that he wasn't this man that had done so many things. You know, like he wasn't this man that I grew up with. He wasn't the men that chose to do whatever. He wasn't the the men who left me. He wasn't the the men who I fought attention for. He was mine and he loved me for me. And, and he chased me from day one until now. So I'm so grateful for that guy. It's kind of nice to be chased sometimes, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like it, we we have our minutes, right? And and I might be biased, but yeah, he's probably the best Swedish fish I've ever had. So You also wrote in the book, I know there will always be seasons of struggle. There will be times when I question who I am, but I will never not trust God again. I went too many years living that way. Yeah. Later, you had written about a friend, and a lot of the chapters in the book are the titles of people in your life. <laughs> yeah. And it says, you had written down, and we were fighting throughout the hot summer, you and your friend you were referring to, and my legs stopped working, and I was a mess. And so, so at that point, like when you're going through these things with human beings, it's hard to see the light at the end because you put so much effort into your relationships. It seems like, I mean, from what I read in the book, I mean, you're all in. And so it's gotta be heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, when I wrote the book in 2019, I did go through a really hard season of and a, a few up and down friendships and and it was it was tough because my girlfriends didn't necessarily understand what was happening with my life. They weren't understanding what was happening with me. No, I'm sorry. Sitting on your porch drinking for 4 hours, day drinking on a Tuesday is not productive for me for my role as a mother for my role as a wife and just for me, like it's just, and it's not honoring to God. Like I, I, I speak Jesus on one hand, but taking five shots on the other, it's not productive. We get into these modes where we have to survive every situation. And so like I was surviving these friendships and finally it was like, I can't do this anymore. Like I can't sit in your pain and, and try to move out of my pain. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, it you can't save other people. They have to save themselves, like you said before. It you're choosing, and those people have to choose also for themselves. At the very beginning of the book, it opens up and it talks about your husband's mental illness and yeah, the relationships he has with other members of his family, and yeah. the relationship he has with you. And pretty quickly, it goes into the story of the morning where your husband wanted to commit suicide. Yeah. Could you take us through that morning a little bit? Yeah, that was a rough morning. A little backstory. My husband was diagnosed the summer prior as bipolar, but we knew nothing about bipolar. And so we went to a doctor. This doctor didn't really know what he was doing either. Put my husband on a bunch of random medications. Sean went to the doctor the week that we woke up, the week before we woke up, or three days before we had woke up to that one morning. He looked him in the face, the doctor, and the doc. he told him he just wanted to be with Jesus. And the doctor looked at him and told him to work through his symptoms. He'll be okay. Three days later, my husband woke up. Um, He didn't... Oh. The doctor didn't believe that Sean was necessarily bipolar because he hadn't had a depressive episode. And so he wanted to pull the depression out. You can't make this up. He wanted to pull a depressed side out of the bipolar so he could categorize it as bipolar. And so three days later, my husband woke up, looked at me and said, I want to die. Went into the kitchen, grabbed some stuff, grabbed the knives and attempted to take his life. Yeah. And so during all of that, you walk in on him or were you in the wheelchair at that point? No, I wasn't in a wheelchair. No, I was not healthy MS at that point. Yeah. Okay. And your girls were how old? See, Addie was, they're two years apart. So I think that they were one in three or, uh, or two and four. So it ha Yeah. Okay. So you got little kids, you're yeah. dealing with your own, you know, disease yeah. and your husband's mental illness is in, in a flare. And so uh, telling the listeners he has recovered, he's in, yeah. in health now, but that had to be pretty traumatizing. Oh, it stopped our world for years in years. Yeah. It was so hard because my husband, when the ambulance came and they took him, we went to the hospital and my husband woke up for the first time and I went in to see him and, and it, it was, it's like a bittersweet thing that, you know, like he heard my voice. And so he was like shaking the bed. Like he's a huge guy and he's six something, six, two, six, one. He's a beast. And he's just shaking the bed and cause he can hear my voice. Like, where is she? And then I went to him and the first thing he said to me was, why didn't you let me die? And it broke me, like shattered me. And so me and God went to war. I feel like I went to war with Jesus. Like uh, I didn't, I didn't know how to love my husband the way he needed me to love him because I didn't know how to love me. I didn't know how to receive Christ's love. I didn't know how, I, I didn't understand where this unconditional love came from. I didn't, I, I had nothing left. I didn't have the capacity to deal with anything. And so he recovered, he was good. And we kind of like stayed in our own corners and we were still like 
husband and wife, but until that happened in 2015, it probably took us up until about three years ago to really be good until the breakthrough that I had in where I just fell on my face and was just like, God, I can't do this anymore. And, and when I woke, when I stood up that moment on the floor, my marriage was such a huge priority to one, get myself right so that I could love Sean. I didn't want to miss out on any more years of, I didn't want to miss out on the joy. I didn't want to miss out. I didn't want to fight anymore. I was just done, you know? And I'm, and now looking back on it, I'm so grateful he didn't succeed. I'm so grateful that this is his story and our story. Like there were a lot of people that didn't understand what happened, why, why he did what he did. They didn't understand the story. And, and so it was hard for them to, it was hard for them to, to truly accept Sean for being Sean and recognize that like, this really was a big, like an illness. And this really was the medication that messed my husband up. Like, this is not who Sean is, bipolar or not. Like, bipolar doesn't define Sean. No, God does. And and once we realized that, like, our diseases didn't didn't get, they didn't get to tell us anymore who we were. And and, and we chose to step out of the, the box of what it looks like to be multiple sclerosis at a young age and not so young anymore, but I'm just saying, and what it looks like to be bipolar. It like, Sean is good. He's so good. And he's been so good. And I'm so grateful for that moment because we turned this huge disaster into something so beautiful. Life is just too much. I think it's pretty remarkable that you have faced all of these obstacles and not just, you know, living life, but your family is still together. You guys have been coming out healthier on the other side. So can we please talk about this? I know I'm, I'm bringing up like the gambit today. We started with medical marijuana. We got to get back to it. We're going through all the motions. So then you say, in later in the book, not only could I not be intimate with my husband, but he had to physically pick me up, carry me and help me do things that quite frankly, I should have been able to do myself. I was completely broken. So there's a couple things in there, right? That I'd really like to dive into a little bit. So your MS was affecting you in like sexually? Yeah. So when I first got diagnosed, well, you have to understand, I what. I was pregnant in 2010, right? Had the baby and or pregnant in 2009, got the baby, had the baby in 2010, had a little bit of break, got pregnant and then uh, had my second one in 2012. And so in between there, I'm pretty sure I I I pretty I'm pretty sure I could have been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis like even before my first daughter was born. So like I'm going through these crazy relapses and I have no idea, right? And so then, yeah, it was awful. And one of the first things I lost, I got completely numb from like the waist down. And that's how my body was for over a year. It was gross. So yeah, so then I wouldn't have the ability to hold my bladder. So then one, I'm like peeing my pants everywhere, right? Because that's sexy. Oh, and I'd only been married since 2009. So I'm not cute. My I can't feel anything. And so, yeah, it was not awesome. 
So you're not feeling very sexual. And at the same time, you know, your husband's having to do all these things for you. But I can imagine he probably felt like this is a give and take, right? You take care of me the same way. You know, I think that like the majority of people would think that way. But I don't think he felt like, honestly, and I know he's going to listen to this and he's going to hear me and be like, Jody, remember that one time, but he truly was like an angel to me. Like it would, I remember walking down the hallway one time and I'm like everywhere. I probably peed my pants. I'd probably like been screaming, yelling. I don't know what was going on, but I just fell to the floor and he came and he sat down next to me and I'm like, are you going to leave me? And he just looked at me, probably kissed my forehead, picked me up and brought me to bed. I really am. I, I He's my favorite. Again, he's going to hear that later and be like, oh, remember that one time? <laughs> I think for saying your favorite and all the lovely things you've said about him will make up for it, I'm sure. So I just think that you guys have such a special relationship and you were meant to be together. Yeah. He's really probably the only one that like puts up with my slick mouth sometimes. So it's fine. It works well. All right. So let's get back for a minute to this medical marijuana. So I, you said you used it for your spasms. You're using it for pain management. So you started using that around your diagnosis time, right? 2013-ish. So it's been nine years or so that you've been using that, how do you think it's impacted your overall health and what kind of benefits have you reaped from using the medical marijuana? So when I first started, I it was really hard because I definitely had smoked some weed before, you know, in high school. Like that, that was a thing for sure. But then, you know, when I met my husband and the few years, like it was so hard for me because I'd worked so hard not to, to live the lifestyle of this crazy girl, you know, and whatever. But then once I moved past that and I was able to see the benefits, so I have a routine like, and, and people talk about CBD, CBD is so good, but it's good mostly for me, for my mental space of like anxiety or like maybe depression or whatever, but it doesn't affect your muscle pain. It doesn't affect my muscle pain. It doesn't affect the spasms. It doesn't do it. It's just not strong enough. And so that's why I have to have the THC because that's what, that that's why I can walk. It's so much better. So I use that for my leg spasms. Also, I mentioned the fatigue a million times. Um, anything like I don't even, I could my eyes, my eye issues. I have IBS, which is not my favorite, but like if my stomach starts to feel gross, so nausea for that, for my headache, I get migraines when the weather changes. So the weather just changed this last weekend. So on Sunday, I had two migraines like back to back. And it was really because the weather just changes gross. But that's the only thing. You know, when Sean, when all of everything happened with my husband, I had called my doctor and I said, this is what's going on. I feel like this is important for you know, us to have a conversation about. And she instantly wanted to put me on Prozac, not Prozac, uh, a couple other ones. And, and this something for my legs because she could already, you know, assume what was going to happen and this and that. And none of that medication has ever done 
anything for me, anything. It's either I would take that medication and I would sleep all day because that's what it did. The side effects would make me so tired that I wasn't doing anything or I had been put on MS medication and it just made me feel so much worse than I felt without it. And you haven't been on a DMT in like two years. Is that true? I tried Rebif. That's the shot. That was horrible. It felt like I had the flu for like three or four days out of the week. And then I was put on Tech Videra, but the side, so like with that, you um, flush, but I was flushing all day, like every day. So it was like I was walking around sunburnt all the time. It was miserable. And then Ocrevus, we tried in 2019. So right before the shutdown um, for COVID. Uh, and yeah, it's been awesome. And once I started taking Ocrevus, my husband and I joined a rock climbing gym and I was able to climb. Yeah. And I never got back on the infusion or got another infusion because 2020, everything shut down. It, it, and so then, and then life happened. So now I'm going to get back on it this next month, but yeah. And I don't have any new lesions. Well, I'm really glad to hear that you don't have any new lesions. Okay. So if you had never been able to take the medical marijuana, where do you think you would be right now? I've tried to go without it because like, there'll be these times where I'm like, should I be doing this? And I battle with my internal of like, is this the right thing to do? Is this the Christian thing to do? But when I go too long without it, my body just almost like starts to shut down to where I would need some sort of medication. Jody, it's my understanding that Jesus liked to drink wine. So I can't imagine he would be upset with you for taking some medicine that helps you. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. If I could drink a good glass of wine without like my body shutting down, I'd do it still. But there's nothing in the Bible that speaks biblically about how marijuana is wrong. But it does talk about, you know, treating your body as a temple. And it talks about just doing the honorable thing. When I, when I medicate with it, it's literally like a morning, noon night. Like I don't get high when I do it. I, I don't, it's my, I'm a chronic user. So my body's used to it. If it wasn't legal, I don't really know, but I do know the effects of what alcohol has and it's legal versus the effects of marijuana with multiple people I've seen in my, like anywhere, the statistics. And so we just treat it as if it's a medication. And my family is really awesome about it too. Like they, like my outside family, they recognize like what it does for my body and how important it is for me. And so, yeah, it's a part of my life. And I questioned whether I should talk about this on this type of platform. But at the end of the day, I, I can have Jesus all the time for sure. But if I want to walk, then I'm going to use what I believe has been a blessing to my life from God so that I can be a part of ministry, so that I can love my family well, so that I can be the best version that God designed me to be. It sounds like, you know, you figured out what's worked for you to help you. And I love that. You just keep on doing it, man. If it's working, don't stop. <laughs> yeah. 
So you had mentioned a couple of times, Jody, that you are now from wheelchair to rock climber. Can you explain this a little bit more? It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I know, right? We lived in this apartment complex and there we had these three guys move in next door. And we ended up hanging out, playing like nerdy games and just having good times, right? And then they were like, yeah, we, we go rock climbing. And I was like, I used to rock climb like when I was in high school, right? And so then we went one day with them and my entire family fell in love with it. And I recognized that my body did things that everybody told me it would never do again. Like I went to the doctor, I was talking to him about, you know, my life and what was going on and all the things, right? And he just, he really couldn't believe how good MS I was. And I just, and I, and he asked me if I exercise, I said, well, yeah, I do exercise. And he's like, well, I really need you to be stretching every day. I'm like, okay, get that. And he was like, well, what do you do for exercise? Well, me and my husband go rock climbing. Well, I need you to do something more than just like, you know, once every while. So then I brought him to my Instagram page and he's looking at this and he's like, is this real life looking at me after he's already shoving me in that MS box or that chronic illness box? And he's like, oh, you probably still should be stretching, but like, okay. <laughs> there are some incredible people on Instagram. When I started, I started looking at these MS warriors and I was like, what is an MS warrior? And, and I was looking at some of these people and I'm like, I want to be like you. Like, I want to be able to encourage people, to love people, to, to move like you're moving. Like, I want to be able to go, I want to be able to get up put a shirt on, get dressed, like brush my teeth and my hair like it's no big deal, you know? So really it's credited to a lot of the Instagram people because there are so many badass warriors on IG and they make my heart so happy because there's such an encouragement where you're like, you're doing that? We all we all see what you're doing too, Jody, and it is very inspirational. I I am not a rock climber. I don't know how you have the strength to lift your body up and do that. I think it's unbelievable what you do. And it's a testament to your faith. It's a testament to your conviction. And it's a testament to saying, I choose. I choose to live this better life. And I'm so glad that you're inspired by those other Instagrammers. That's so great. <laughs> so Jody, I think we've just started to unpack some of these things here from talking. We barely talked about your mentor making the family a priority instead of, you know, running away from them. Don't let my identity be defined by other people define how I say it's going to be. And definitely I choose. I love that statement. I choose to make my life what it's going to be. And I think that that really is going to speak to a lot of the people listening today. Jody, oh my gosh, your vulnerability is touching my heart. Thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us. Now, let's share with everybody else where they can find you on Instagram so that they can be inspired too. At jodi.marie dot nix and you can get letters to the unbelieving woman at amazon.com and my second book is going to be published in june and i'm so excited
It is fantastic. So her first book is on Kindle also, which is how I read it. And it was super easy. I'd never read a book on Kindle before. And you can highlight and do a whole bunch of stuff on there. So I just thank you so, so much for pouring your heart out, sharing your story and being here with me today. You certainly are, Jodi, a thriver. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. If you would like to join our growing community of thrivers, there are a lot of ways to do so. Visit the website at thrivingoversurvivingpodcast.com. There you'll find links to all our social media, my blog, and lots more. See you next time when we chat it up with another autoimmune warrior on the Thriving Over Surviving podcast. Keep thriving. Thriving.